don't need no one, I got myself. Been waiting so long for someone to hold me down. In this episode, I talked to Tyler Nelson, who's currently a guard for the Rostock Seawolves over in Germany, but just a few years ago was one of the best college basketball players in the country during his time at Fairfield. We discussed being overseas, uncertainty over the G League season, and much, much more. So with that said, please enjoy. What is up, everyone? Clevis Murray here with Tyler Nelson. Tyler Nelson, thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you, man. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I, know, I know you're just getting out of practice and I know you're overseas playing in Germany for now. Correct me if I say this wrong, the Rostock Seawolves. Did I, did I say it right? Did I mess it up? No. Yeah. That's, that's how it's pronounced. I, I struggled that first when I first got here <laughs> pronouncing that too. So yeah, it's the Rostock Seawolves out in Germany. Cool, cool, cool. No, that's good to hear. And, and obviously being in Germany, cause obviously you're, you're from, you know, from the Massachusetts area and you went to Fairfield and you played in the G league, but you're in, you're overseas. So I was just curious for you, how's that transition been for you overseas adjusting to like a different country? Yeah, it's definitely uh, been an adjustment um, being first year overseas. Like you said, the last two seasons I played in the G League, um, obviously, you know, with COVID and, you know, this year has been tough on, you know, basketball, professional basketball players in general. And especially my situation, because I played in the G League last year with the Dallas Mavericks. And um, they were one of the G League teams that opted out to not go to the G League bubble. So once that happened, it was kind of a, a situation to, to kind of wait and see if another G League team would pick me up or, you know, entertain some, you know, overseas offers for the rest of the year um, and, and go from there. And I decided to, you know, go the European route. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Yeah. And what was that situation like where you're waiting to figure out what was going to happen with the G League season? Because I talked to some coaches and some players that were like, to me, they're telling me like they were just kind of left in the dark because they really didn't know what's going on. So for yeah. you, I was just curious, what was that waiting period like? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, no one really had any inside information on, you know, what was going to go down. Obviously, you know, they they wanted to have a season. They were going to have a season, but they didn't know when and what it was going to look like. Um, and then, you know, it started, you know, pretty late in, in the year. Um, so, you know, midway through in terms of, you know, the normal NBA season or G League season, um, so a lot of guys were in the same position, whether, you know, to jump overseas and play or to wait it out and see what happens with the G League. So, yeah, it was a tough situation for a lot of people. And then on, on top of that, like I said earlier, you know, there's my team in Dallas and then a few other teams like the Celtics, Lakers, um, and a few other teams that opted out to not even do the G League. So that even put, you know, more players and, you know, NBA coaches and stuff like that in a tough position. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask you, too, following about what you said is how like for the players and coaches, the assistants, whomever, the list goes on and on. How have they kind of adjusted, like knowing that, you know, they don't have a job this year and they kind of have to find something else in the interim for at least a season? Like what have they kind of dealt with, dealt with to kind of get through this? Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, every NBA team's different um, in terms of their relation with the, the G League coach or the G League staff. A lot of the, you know, the G League staff are guys that have worked for the NBA team before, whether it be video room or young assistants that are now, you know, trying to get their head coaching experience. So, you know, most of them, because of that, I'm sure, you know, went up with the NBA team and, and did different things, obviously, because, you know, they weren't having a G League season. But I know this a tough situation where, you know, some teams, you know, just kind of said to their coaches, sorry, we're not having the season, um, you know, get ready for next year. And I don't, I don't really know exactly how that went down. Uh, individually, but I know that, that that happened for some people, which is tough. 
Yeah. And was it tough for you to make that decision? Like, I, cause I know you said you waited to see like other G league offers, but was it just tough for you to wait and then make the decision to go overseas? Like how tough was that for you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was tough by the end of the day, I, I wanted to play and, you know, kind of the first opportunity that jumped up with this offer in Germany, I knew that, you know, it'd be a good situation. I always knew eventually I would, you know, after playing in the G league for two seasons, I knew eventually that, you know, I'd, I'd go to Europe uh, eventually and play. I just didn't know when. And obviously, you know, with COVID throwing the curveball into things, um, I thought it was a good, good situation to just come over, um, especially midseason to a pretty good team and, you know, jump right in and, um, you know, have a good season. Obviously, the G League, you know, they had their one month bubble um, in Orlando. And I mean, that was literally a 30 day season. They played about, you know, 15 games. So I know some of the guys, you know, it was it was tough on them even just doing that for a month um, and knowing that that's all you have all year. So um, kind of a blessing and a curse. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because I talked to two coaches last week that were telling me like, it was like after experiencing, they said like one, like, yeah, being mobile sucks too because all the condensed games, I mean, it's practices are condensed. You have to figure out, give guys days off, things of that nature. And they told me like, yeah, it was just tough because it was, you're trying to squeeze the whole entire season plus playoffs. Plus if you keep making the playoffs like in one month and it was just, it seemed like it was too much to handle. And one of them was saying like, was it really worth it? And like you mentioned, because now you are out of a job in a way because it's like, what do you do now for an entire year? Yeah, especially for, you know, the G League guy that decided to stick around and, and wait for the G League is, you know, Europe has like a deadline. I think that was about maybe less than a month ago. So it was right around from the end of the, ironically, right around the end of the G League bubble oh, wow. um, was the deadline to sign in Europe. So a lot of guys, you know, kind of are stuck now and only, you know, had that one month of their season. But I mean, that's, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, and then you mentioned before how you said, you know, you planned on playing in Europe. Was it because of just you always want to be in Europe or is there other reasons why? Um, I don't know. I just think, you know, the way, the way I play the game, the, you know, shooting, passing, um, I think that, you know, kind of caters to European style basketball. Um, there's been guys that are similar players like me that have had some really good success in Europe and played, had long careers and done really well. Um, you know, obviously the goal is to get to the NBA, but, you know, there's different routes and obviously, you know, doing the G League for two seasons, um, I kind of was at a point where I was like, all right, like, let's, let's go try Europe. So I think obviously with COVID, it was tough, um, you know, so hard to find jobs this year because, you know, a lot of teams didn't sign as many Americans or couldn't because of budget because of COVID reasons. So I'm just happy that I, I got this, you know, opportunity and, you know, made the most of it so far. And what was, uh, and, you know, obviously going from America to Germany, what was the COVID protocols like for you to make that transition? Yeah, so I had to um, obviously, you know, have a negative COVID test before I got <laughs> on the plane over here to Germany. Um, and then once I got here, right when I got off the plane, I had to get a test right at the airport in Germany. Then I had to quarantine for a few days and pretty much get a test every single day for wow. um, four or five days after that until I was clear to, you know, get with the team and practice and do stuff like that. So that was a little bit of a, a transition. Um, but, you know, on top of that as a team, you know, we get tested just about every other day and every game day um, just to make sure that nothing happens. So, I mean, there's been a few teams in our league that recently got caught with COVID and it's kind of tough because they have to, you know, forfeit or try and make up the games and, you know, a couple of weeks, which is tough to do because our, playoff start for us april 11th so there's not a lot of time left so it's uh that time of year where you really got to be careful and you know hope no one no one gets covid 
Yeah, and I haven't peeped the stats or how things are in Germany in regards to COVID, but is it similar to America where people are wearing masks, socially distanced, or are things a little bit more relaxed over there? Or maybe more strict? Yeah, I mean, when I first got here, it was pretty similar. You know, everyone was wearing masks. Everything was shut down. Um, you know, you could get food, but it was takeout. Um, grocery stores were open. That was about it. Um, but about two or three weeks ago, um, in my location in Germany, I'm, I'm way up north, about a little bit past Hamburg, which is one of the biggest cities in Germany. Um, so where I'm located was actually one of the places that had the lowest number of COVID infection. So luckily, our area got to open up some things um, earlier than other parts of Germany. Um, so that's been nice to, you know, have more restaurants and malls and stuff like that open, obviously, with limited capacity. Um, and still, you know, I got to wear a mask everywhere you go. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of nice that, you know, luckily the city that I'm in um, has had really low numbers. So we've been able to open things up slowly recently. That's good. That's good. And then you also mentioned before how, you know, the effect COVID has had on, on hoopers in the sense of like some guys are missing a deadline and there's a bunch of uh, protocols. So I was just curious, how are you kind of managing, I guess, working out or staying ready um, in America before you went to Europe? Like, what was that kind of like for you with things shut down or things being limited? Yeah, that was that was really hard, I think, for a, a lot of guys, um, especially me, you know, for the most time, you know, I traveled a little bit to different areas to train. But for the most part, um, I was home in, in Massachusetts. And obviously, as you know, everything back there was shut down. Gyms were pretty much closed oh. all summer. So things were tough. Luckily, I was able to get into the gym um, in my hometown, um, which was nice. Um, so that was able to stay in shape. But there's only so much you can do, you know, by yourself individually. Uh, you can't get in the gym with other guys, play five on five or stuff like that to, to stay in shape, which is tough. So like I said, there's only, there's only so much you can do, but I just tried to make the most of it. Okay. No, that, that's good to know. Because yeah, I feel like it, it's been so difficult because you, I'll see the videos of like just some athletes saying like, how am I supposed to keep my body in shape? And I've seen a lot of guys go to home workouts. I see, obviously that's on the race, yeah, but yeah. I don't know if you had a Peloton or anything like that. Oh. No, I didn't, but I was, I was beginning of quarantine. I was definitely doing some home workouts in my basement and stuff like that. Just trying to stay in shape the best I can yeah no no for sure no that's what you got to do like even for me like obviously I'm not after anything like that but like I'll go like go for walks or things like that and I think yeah. I went back to the gym I want to say about like, September because I remember the gyms open up I want to say in June or July or something like that but I was like you know I'm gonna be a little cautious I'm gonna wait it out yeah. and that was sort of like the mask thing but I did it and I've been going to the gym every day since so it worked out for me well you know shed a few pounds so that's so that's pretty good yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it was definitely tough on everyone, not just athletes. So it's good that, you know, hopefully, hopefully now things can stay open and people can be smart and, you know, wear masks and stay safe and we can finally get through this thing. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And then I know you mentioned, you know, the ultimate goal is to make it to the NBA. And you're a guy where, you know, you're a Fairfield legend. You were one of the best college players you know, at the time. And then you go to the G League and now you're overseas. And my question is, how, like, what have you realized about getting to the NBA that you didn't really know coming out of college? Um, I mean, coming out of college, you know, like you said, I, you know, I had some success in my college career and, you know, did really well. Um, and then just making that transition to professional basketball um, in the G League level, it just goes to show, like, how good you really have to be to make the NBA. I mean, there's, there's a very slim chance of that happening and for that opportunity um, to come I think it's a lot of it is just someone taking the chance on you and then you making the most of it but I mean obviously to make the NBA is you know probably one of the hardest things to do in sports 
Um, so it's it's one of those things where it's about opportunity and you know making the most of it. That's that's what I think. Yeah, no, no, that's for sure. Because I feel like, like you mentioned, like make the NBA is just super hard because it's thirty teams. There's only so many roster spots, especially if you're if you're because there's you know there's levels to this. Yeah, superstars, stars, role players, you know all exactly. that stuff. So it's just like even like even today where you see a bunch. Today's the NBA trade deadline and. Some of the most roared people are the role players because they may get thrown into trades. Like, you literally just don't know. Like, I remember, here's a quick start. I remember when we were at arenas and I was covering the Celtics, I remember there was this one Celtic that would tell me, like, he just hates to trade in line because he just never knows. Like, he's going to get yeah. thrown into a trade and then he has to uproot his family. Like, he was telling me, like, school and all this stuff. I was like, man, like, I never thought about that. And it just sucks. But he was like, you know, it's the life of a role player. Like, you know, I'd rather do this than do anything else. If I have to playing a different city it is what it is because at the end of the day the checks are the same yeah for sure i mean it's, <laughs> it's it's definitely not fun having to you know move your family and stuff like that but at the end of the day these guys are making a lot of money to play basketball so it's a it's it's one of those things where you just kind of you know expect it yeah no that's for sure and then you know going overseas you always hear a lot i've always seen a few, at least a decent amount of players say like there's more money to be made overseas than in the g league but being in the G League gives you a better opportunity to make it to the NBA. Is that something you agree with or you disagree with or anything like that? Um, I would agree with it to an extent. Obviously, you know, when you're when you're playing in the G League, you know, you have NBA GMs and coaches and eyes on you right there because you're, you know, right in the, you know, affiliated with the NBA teams and you're playing every night, like I said, right in front of NBA GMs and stuff like that. But, you know, there's been a lot of guys that have, you know, done – the European thing and grinded it out, you know, four or five years, even, even more than finally got their NBA shot. Like, you know, just to bring one up is like Brad Wanamaker, who was on the Celtics yeah. last year. And then now he's, you know, with the Warriors. I mean, he, he came out of college and he went to like eight or nine years overseas and finally, you know, got taken by the Celtics as a 28 year old rookie. So, you know, it definitely happens. There's, there's different ways to make it, but um, you know, obviously right now I'd say the, vast majority of guys you know that do really well in the g league that get called up that's kind of the the most popular route right now you know that's for sure and i've i've been just so curious about that because it seems like things like kind of like i don't know you mentioned brad warmaker like that's a like that's a great story and along with pj sucker guys that just never got that yeah. shot but they had to grind it overseas and i just it tells you too like if you really want something like you're just gonna have to really work for it and just hope the opportunity comes because there are just yeah. so many guys, and I'm sure you you obviously know better than me. Just guys that just maybe they've been in the G League for years, and they're just yeah. still waiting for that for that call. I, I mean, remember a few years ago we had that guy from the Lakers. I forgot his name, but he was yeah, just I'm like, sure. yes, yes, him. Yeah. And he was just in the G League for years, and I think he was a math teacher on the side. But yeah. he finally got his moment. He yeah, shows. exactly. And just show. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, and I also want to go. I want to backtrack from talking about pro sports because I obviously college was your thing college you know you're a great college player and i just want to talk have you been following march madness by any chance i know there might be a time difference i don't know if you've been able to keep up yeah there's been a little bit of a time difference i watched um some games um not a lot of them but i've 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 tried to tune into any of them that i can in the afternoon when i've been not doesn't have practice or traveling or have games or stuff like that but i've, I've watched a decent amount so what are your thoughts so far on, on the games that you have seen um, I watched Loyola Chicago the other day. I think, you know, obviously as a mid-major program, they're really good. Obviously, you know, at one point this year, they were a top 25 team, so you can't really call them a Cinderella. And obviously, you know, <laughs> they, have, they have, have had great success over the past few years, but they're really fun to watch. Um, I like Baylor a lot. I, I picked them to win it all. Um, Michigan's really good. Um, 
Oregon State was playing well. And then obviously you got the underdogs and stuff like that, which is which was fun to see. Obviously this year is it has been a lot of upsets. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, COVID and stuff like that. I mean, you have teams that have, you know, that are in the tournament that haven't played a lot of games all year because they had to cancel stuff. But, you know, obviously they're, they've had good records in, in, in the games they have played. Um, so that's I think that's kind of why you're seeing a lot of upsets. So they've they've been fun to watch. Yeah. And then you mentioned being at a mid-major, you obviously went to Fairfield. And I was just curious, like, what was your experience like at a mid-major at a school where, you know, you kind of put them on the map in a way? Because I remember, I remember, I think it was when you scored the 2000s. Like, I remember seeing you on ESPN and all this stuff. Like, I don't know, it was, it was like really interesting, really cool. Like, man, like, like you said, mid-majors don't really get a, enough attention unless, like, there's a crazy milestone or they're on this crazy run to end the season or in the tournament. So I was just curious, what was your experience like there being in one? Yeah, I mean, mid-major basketball is, you know, I don't think that's the credit that it deserves. I mean, there's a lot of good mid-major programs that, you know, compete with those high-major schools. Um, obviously, you know, the the main difference is you have those ESPN top 100 kids or those you know, what they call one-and-done guys that are doing one year of college and going right to the league. I mean, that's really the only difference. But there's, there's definitely some really high-level basketball. And, you know, when I went to college and I chose Fairfield, it was really just because – I wanted to go to a school and, you know, a coach and a program that needed me. Um, and then, you know, I knew that I was going to play. I didn't want to just go to, you know, when I was getting recruited just to go to the best school on paper um, and then just see what happens. I, I really kind of just, you know, thought to myself, like, let's go somewhere where you're wanted and play and, and make the most of it and go from there. I didn't know, like, I'd have the chance to play pro. Obviously, you know, it's been great the last three years. Um, but I think the biggest thing, which a lot of kids you know, don't think about in today's day and age is, you know, kind of go where you're wanted and don't just go for, you know, the best school on paper. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And I just, I, 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 I agree with you like so much of that because like, it's like, yeah, where you want, like where, cause you don't want to just go to program just because, oh my gosh, everyone talks about it, everyone goes like, we see it all the time. I mean, shoot, we see it right now the past few years where there's been a huge increase in guys entering the transfer portal. Yeah, it's crazy. So, like, you're seeing a lot of guys just go where they're not really wanted, but they kind of go there because maybe, you know, some alumni went there or something like that. And I feel like with you, you made, like, and obviously in hindsight, it's a good spirit. So, like, you made the right decision, you know. Yeah. You know, you guys, I think you guys were, you guys, you guys, I think when, was it your freshman year when you went there, you guys were, like, five and 30 or something like that. But then each yeah, my, year my, got better. My first year, my first year, we won eight games. And then my sophomore year, we had a good year. We won almost 20 games. My junior year, we won about 18. And then my senior year, we were, we were like 17 and 16 going into the MAC tournament, uh, conference tournament at the end of the year. And then, you know, we had a, you know, Cinderella story kind of and made it all the way to the finals and just came up a little bit short against Iona, who was a, you know, great program and great team. But yeah, it was, it was that's the other thing is that we kind of all stuck together. And I think that really helped us, you know, down the run. Uh, my senior year, just playing together for all those years kind of, you know, helped us in the, the you know, end of the season. Yeah, and then what? So while you were in college, when did it kind of hit you that you could go pro? Um, I mean, I can't. I think after after my junior year, I had a really good year. I averaged almost twenty points, and you know, was first team all conference. Uh, then kind of that summer going into my senior year, I kind of knew that you know, I was picked preseason player of the year, and you know, I was you know arguably the best player in the league. I knew that you know if I had another good year, that it would be a possibility. Um, but I just kind of focused on my senior year and, you know, luckily I had a really good senior year and um, got invited to do some NBA workouts and stuff like that. And then it just kind of took off from there. 
Yeah, no, that's good. That's good to hear because I always find it interesting. I think I'm more like obviously from a reporter standpoint, I'm almost always intrigued with the guys that enter college. Like it's like I just want to be a college athlete and going pro is kind of far fetched. But because you got better each year, kind of, I mean, John Morant's another example of this guys that go to mid-major schools, but you get better so much, it's like you can become pro, whether it's overseas or the NBA. Like now you have an opportunity to make a good amount of money, you know, just playing a game that you loved as a kid. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think my other question too is recently, I don't know if you if you've seen the hashtags on uh, social media about hashtag not NCAA property. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I have seen that. I was just curious to just get your thoughts on it, just your experience, obviously, as being a student athlete, and if you had any opinions or thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great that these kids are speaking up and using their voice. Um, obviously, you know, there's a lot, a lot of money in college basketball and college football and Division One athletics in general, uh, especially at, you know, the, the real high levels. Um, I think it's tough to, you know, see all the, you know, the university and colleges making all this money off kids and then in return, the kids don't really get anything besides, I guess you can, you know, argue a free scholarship. Um, so, you know, I see, I see both sides of it. I know I think that there should be a middle ground where, you know, guys can get away with a little bit more, whether that be, you know, being able to run their own, you know, summer camps in their name or something like that. I don't know. I wouldn't go with folks then saying, you know, <laughs> that college athletes should be getting, you know, a monthly check or anything like that. Um, but I think there's definitely got to be a middle ground. Um, obviously, you know, the NCA is, really, really strict in terms of division one, you know, what you can and can't do. Um, and I think that, you know, over the years, um, you know, people have just had enough and more and more guys are speaking up about it. And now, you know, in the basketball landscape, you have things like, you know, the G league where, you know, guys can come right out of high school and go to the G league and make, you know, half a million dollars at 18 years old. So I think the NCA is going to have to, you know, make some changes if they want to compete with like, with guys like that. Cause at the end of the day, if, you know, those kids can just go make, you know, half a million dollars, you know, for five months or six months in the G League and they have, there's no purpose in, of them going to college for, for one season. Um, so it would be interesting to see what happens the next year or so. Yeah, I know, because this is obviously this has been a reoccurring topic for decades now. But I think in the social media era, it's kind of a little bit easier to get the message out and apply pressure because you see you see guys like Geo Baker from Rutgers was kind of putting the petrol yeah. metal saying like the hatching nine say property. And like, yeah, I do think like you guys, there should be something else in it for, like you mentioned, if you bring in that much money to that yeah. program, you know, it should be a trickle effect. Obviously then there's obviously conversation about, Oh, if you're a revenue sport, this and that, like that's other, that's other stuff. But if you have a service, like, or you do think you should be monetized for it. Like if you have like 30,000 followers on IG and you can make money off IG, like what's like, that's the brand. That's, that's because you have, you play basketball and people want to follow you. You should be able to monetize it. Like, I don't know, there's, I have so many thoughts on this. You have so many thoughts on this, but I do think like there should be more to it. It's kind of ridiculous at this point where it's, there's, it's just nothing has changed. Yeah. There's definitely got to be a, a middle ground or you know, an agreement that come along. Cause obviously, you know, it's not good right now and it needs to change. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Especially too, when you see the, uh, the, the disparity too, with the men's women, the, with the men's tournament and the women's tournament as yeah. far as like food and all that stuff. It's like, Come on now, guys. Like, got to be better. Yeah, especially for, you know, the NCAA, which, you know, preaches all these all these <laughs> things and then go and do that. That's not a good look. No, I agree with you 100%, man, 100%. And then – and I also want to get to you real quick. I, I'm asking another NBA question, but I also want to mention that you were the Gatorade Player of the Year. And I mentioned that because you went to – you went to Central Catholic 
And yeah. there's a lot of guys these days that are going to NEPSEC. And I was just curious, like, just your thoughts on guys that, like, did you ever think about going to a NEPSEC school? Um, I mean, I've, I would say I thought about it, but I never really considered it. I never yeah. really got to that point. Um, you know, for me, when I came out of, you know, when I was going to high school and I decided to go to Central, you know, the last four or five years prior to that, they were, you know, the number one team in the state for Massachusetts for boys basketball. So it was kind of a no brainer to go there. Um, and, you know, we had good teams and I was there and I really never felt the need to, you know, try and, you know, go to a repeat or go to a prep school or something like that. I mean, obviously it, it would have been different if after my junior year, I didn't get all the division one offers that I got, you know, maybe yeah. then I would have considered going to prep school and give myself another year, something like that. But, you know, once I had those division one offers and, you know, a lot of good schools looking at me, I really had no, you know, no motivation or intention to, you know, go to a prep school. Yeah. And what do you think about these days where like you see a lot of guys, I don't know if you follow the high school scene, but it seems like a lot of guys yeah. these days from the state are going to NEPSAC schools. Like I'm just curious, what do you think of like the kind of changing of the guard in a way? Yeah, definitely. Now it's, you know, if you're if you're even somewhat pretty pretty much good <laughs> to you know, public high school in Massachusetts or New Hampshire, you kinda, you know, try and find your way to a prep school and you know, there's different reasons, whether it be, you know, academics for kids or, you know, they need another year. Um, or recruiting reasons, obviously. Um, I think every situation is different, but I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say I agree with, you know, jumping to prep school and, you know, right away. I think that's more of maybe, a, you know, once you go through high school, junior, senior year, you're getting recruited, maybe, you know, you need another year, go do a post-grad or something like that. But I'm not really sold on the whole, you know, let me, as a freshman or sophomore, <laughs> that, you know, is not even on varsity yet or, you know, averaging, you know, eight points a game to, go to a prep school and, and stuff like that but hey everyone everyone can make their own decisions so yeah i know it's, it's crazy because in the basketball world you know the the, the the biggest word they always say is potential if you show potential it's like oh you should yeah. come to this school and we can, we'll develop you into this and that it's yeah uh, but i mean the other, the other thing too is you know when which i gotta bring up is you know back when i was in high school you know i kind of got all my recruit recruitment from um au um oh. So I didn't really get, you know, college coaches come and watch me in my high school games. It was really the, you know, AU, I played with the ABC, which is, you know, probably the best yeah. program in Massachusetts. Um, I was playing with them, and that's where I got all, all my recruitment. Um, so I think now it's different where, like, a lot of those kids get recruited out of those NEPSAC schools because, you know, there's so many Division One kids that are there. So it's just easier for college coaches to go, you know, to an open gym or watch their games like that and not have to worry about chasing kids around on the AU scene as much. So I think it's just a, you know, a little bit of changing of the times over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah, no, I agree with you because like, yeah, I'll see it like I did. So I covered high school sports for, for a bit and I'll go to these tournaments where there was like the BABC classic or anything like that. And it was just ridiculous. Cause I remember the first, like I, at a time, I didn't really know the difference between like prep school and public yeah. school ball until so, like you watch it and you see there is a clear difference of the level of talent like i remember yeah. i watched like booster academy i'm seeing these high schools throw down windmills and i'm like what is going and i'm seeing high schools that look like yeah. regular high schools i'm like wait a minute wait a minute this something does not seem right and i remember i looked it up i'm like these dudes aren't even from the state like you see like for preps again this is when i was learning the game you see yeah. like these guys are all over from the country guys guys from canada yeah. i'm like what is this and i looked it up I'm like, this is like, this is literally a basketball factory. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially the NEPSAC. I mean, that's yeah. that league with all those schools is, you know, just pretty much getting all the best high school players in the country mm-hmm. at this point and, and all putting them in one league. And I think it's been good for the NEPSAC itself to, you know, get these kids on campus and, you know, be able to have their basketball programs be that good. And then at the same time, it's been nice for college coaches to recruit that way. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And plus, it's I think the rules are a little bit more lenient in NEPSAC as far as yeah. recruiting in, in comparison, obviously, to MIA. So that that there's a big disparity there. So that's obviously obviously plays a factor. Um, yes. But I also want to get to obviously when you so when you finished, you know, your time at Fairfield, what was the draft process like for you? Yeah, so once I finished up at Fairfield my senior year um, that summer, obviously knowing that I was you know going to make the next step and go pro, um, you know, I had some NBA workouts. So I did those, waited for the draft, obviously didn't end up getting drafted. Um, and then after that, I signed with the Minnesota Timberwolves, did summer league with them. Um, and then after that, I um, signed with, I got drafted from the G League draft, um, third overall to um, Greensboro Swarm, which is the Charlotte Hornets team. Um, and then played for them my first year, first year and a half. And then uh, last year, midway through the season, right before COVID actually um, ended up getting traded to Dallas. So I was there. Um, so that's, that was kind of my process. Yeah. And was it, what was the most difficult part about it? Like being a guy that was coming from a mid-major, but you're also one of the best players in your conference, but then you kind of have to go through this, this yeah. draft process where it's like a litany of different players overseas, big D1, small D1s, you know, what was that? What was, what was the most difficult part about it for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, you know, kind of eye-opening. You know, you go through college, especially me. Like, I had such a great college career, a lot of hype my senior year. And then, you know, to go to pro, it just kind of shows, like, everyone that moves on from college is, you know, the best of the best in their school, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, right on the edge of making the NBA or, you know, playing professionally at the next level. Um, so it just shows how competitive it is. Um, and I think that was the, the biggest takeaway I kind of took. And, you know, once, you, once I got into the G League and, you know, I was playing against, you know, guys that have already been drafted before first round picks, second round picks, guys that have been in the league before that are out of it now trying to get back into it. Like you just see how talented some of these guys are. Um, but, you know, you, you, you see, you can play with them and you're just as good. Um, so that's kind of something that I took away from being in the G league. Um, so yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, no. And, and I, I, it's interesting too, because like whenever I see guys go through the process, cause I know there's all, you got the pit, you got, you know, the Reese's game, all these, all these avenues to help guys that might be, you know, under, under look to like, just be in front of these NBA scouts and just get the looks that they deserve because it's, it's real hard. Like, at least when I was looking at it, it just, it looks just real hard just to get the necessary attention that you need and want. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at the draft and the NBA, I mean, there's only two rounds, 60 picks and, you know, out of those 60 picks, you probably have 10 to 15 that are coming from international. So it just, just shows like all the guys coming out of college you know, two, probably two or 300 guys that are trying to go play pro or that are good enough to play pro, yeah. you know, there's only about, you know, 50 spots of getting drafted. So it's tough. Yeah, no, for sure. And then obviously, like you mentioned, you mentioned at the top was that you're in Germany and I was just curious. So what has been, I guess, your favorite thing about being in Germany as a, as a pro player? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's, I've got here, you know, middle of January. So at first, it was obviously an adjustment with COVID and everything, uh, just kind of getting my bearings. But, you know, I'm in a good city, um, good spot. Obviously, you know, with COVID, it's not as, you know, can't really go out and explore as much <laughs> as I want to being in a different country. But, 
it's still been nice to, to go out a little bit and do some stuff. So, I mean, obviously living in the different countries is just a great experience in itself. And then basketball wise, um, just a whole different style of play over here, um, European basketball and just getting the hang of that and, you know, playing with guys from, you know, different countries itself, um, you know, and just building relationships like that it has been pretty cool. Yeah. And then, and then obviously, you know, speaking of pro, obviously you mentioned, you know, a little bit earlier, you're not the only one in your family that's kind of pro as well. You know, your dad is an advanced scout. And I was just curious, what's that, what was that like having like a family member that works, you know, for an NBA team? What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, my dad being a scout and a coach before that, you know, I was pretty much involved in basketball since I was, you know, six years old. So it was something I always wanted to do. And, you know, having that, you know, father son coach coach player relationship growing up I think kind of helped me become the player that I am um in, in different situations like that and it's, it's been a cool experience to, to go through yeah and and I think too it's interesting too like how and then you mentioned like the coach player relationship as a father is it what was like you always see like different appearance on it what was just if you could like I guess you know add more details like what was that kind of like for you growing up having your dad also as a coach but him also working for NBA teams like it's like you're in the best of both worlds in a way because like he sees the game from like yeah. an amateur level, but also from a pro level as well. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, he definitely taught me how to play the game and, you know, helped me build my skill skills up and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, you know, an advantage to have, you know, a coach and a coach that's your dad and, you know, knows the game and com compared to someone else who, you know, is coaching you that, you know, doesn't know the game to that level. So it's definitely, it's definitely been an advantage. Yeah, no, that, no, that, that's for sure. That's good. And then I, I think one of my last few questions too is, you know, obviously everyone has goals. You say goals to make to the NBA, but what, do you have any other goals outside of basketball, whether it's within basketball that you just like just working so hard to achieve? Um, I mean, right now I'm kind of, you know, focusing on basketball, yeah. obviously, you know, um, just being able to play professional basketball and make a living off, you know, <laughs> playing a game is, is <laughs> great in itself. And you kind of just kind of, take a step back every once in a while and realize, you know, how great it is and how lucky you are to have opportunities like this to, you know, be able to travel the world and, and play basketball. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's been fun. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. Cool. No, that, that's, that's good to hear. And I think, and I think you guys are, I believe 18, I think last time I checked, you guys are 18 and six, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We just, uh, we had a big win last night to uh, put us back in first place in our division. So it's good. So what was that? And I guess I'll, I'll leave with this, I guess. What was the biggest learning curve as far as the team that you had to learn about? Was it maybe playbook? Was it maybe just into the teams? What, is there a language barrier? Like what, what were some different? Um, I mean, I, I, I've been lucky. So kind of in Germany and itself in pro basketball, I mean, my coach speaks English and we have, you know, three other Americans on the team. So, you know, we don't, we're, when we have like team practices and stuff, 90% of the time, you know, when the coach is coaching, he's, he's talking in English. And then if he's talking to one of the German players, maybe he'll talk German to them individually, but it's been easy, easy transition in terms of that. Um, but just the style of play is, is just so different, especially coming uh, from the G league, which is kind of more up and down one-on-one, -on -one, you know, get, get a bunch of threes up, not as you know, <laughs> focused, not as focused defensively. And, you know, scores are 125 to 118 compared to, you know, European basketball, which is way more systematic, you know, scores are 85 to, you know, 78 and every, you know, not as much uh, transition up and down, everything, every time down is kind of, you know, a half court set. 
grind it out. Every possession matters. Um, so it's just a, it's it's just a different, totally different game than you know back home in the G League or the NBA. Um, but uh, you know it's been it's been fun. It's still still been great to play, and it's it's been a good transition. Yeah, and then you mentioned too the obviously the big difference between the European game and the NBA game. And it seems like you do like it. Seems like you like the European game a little bit more, like just that style. Um, is that just like the way you've seen the game change, you know, and, and just where you have to kind of adjust and just things are like, say, whether it's one-on-one style in America, but in Europe, it's more so team basketball, regardless if you're the yeah. star or not. Yeah. I mean, like I said, European is way more team oriented, you know, everything is just focused on winning, you know what I mean? And compared to the G league, which is more development and guys are just trying to, you know, get their numbers, get their stats up and do the best they can. And then, you know, get their NBA shot. So it's two d- different dynamics, obviously, you know, the G league, you're, you know, all those guys in the G league from, you know, my, in my opinion, you know, right there on the cusp of the NBA. Um, so, you know, obviously that's, you know, the talent is, is really good, but at the same time in Europe, there's some really, really good basketball. And, you know, if people watch, they'd realize how good some, some of these leagues are over here in these different countries and, you know, they're right, they're right there on the cusp of the NBA too. Yeah. And I, I think too, like you mentioned it perfectly where like, got like guys just need more attention and just, you know, teams need more attention. Like there's more to it than just the G league and other things like that. And I think team, I think NBA teams do a good job with their international scouts just to, just to find guys. Cause everyone wants to find like, you know, that diamond in the rough just to see like yeah. what could happen, what they could become. Yeah, for sure. No, there's, you know, if you look at the NBA over the last few years, it's, way more international guys than there was 10 15 years ago so it's definitely making that transition yeah i know that, that that i think that's the most important thing and then i, I guess my follow-up too is the last my last question i'll leave it on this have you have you been kind of keeping up with fairfield you know recently yeah i have been um you know they struggled a little bit during the regular season but they actually you know ironically enough my senior year like i said we made it to the um back championship and lost to iona uh in the finals um, this year was kind of the same situation where, you know, they were middle of the pack in the conference and then, you know, they made a crazy run in the MAC tournament, made it to the championship and they played Iona um, as well and came up a little bit short, Iona and Rick Pitino's team. Um, so that was fun to watch. It would have been great to win that game. But, you know, um, you know, they had a great program. They have a lot of young guys and I'm looking forward to, you know, watching them the next few years. And I think they're, they're going to be right back there soon. No, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Well, Tyler, thank you for joining today. I appreciate it a lot, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Tyler Nelson is one of those guys who won't quit. Even with the odds stacked against him to achieve his NBA goal, he won't stop. All he wants is an opportunity and hopes the G League or overseas gets him to where he wants. A lesson in determination that we all can follow. So with that said, enjoy Ever by Mallory. One more. One more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She broke my heart again, got me going so hard again Then I'm flexing on all the friends Said she wanna date a nigga with a nice whip Now the nigga that a cop and she did pay less When it come to broke niggas, she don't say shit On a scale of most women, she's so basic, she's so basic Last girl left me so low, swear I've been here before Cannot do this no more, that's my cue to get gone Back and forth with all the cheese Got me in and out my feelings There's no point in even speaking That girl lately she been tweaking Met her in the dining hall, thought to myself Who well, damn my love Never seen a girl like that where I'm kept She the type of girl that have a bunch of texts piled up You know not waiting for a nigga to text back Cause she got five line in rotation 
With the hardest, coldest ice If you come off nice, you leave the palpitations I remember when I first said hi Looking in the eyes, hearing what you kindly leave Wasn't even trying to give my ass to try So you know a nigga had to go and scheme On my sleeve was some good game And a nice chat came off a little strong But she was flirting back I spoke with confidence and she admired that But told me take that shit with a trash Damn. Yeah, she broke my heart again. Got me going so hard again. Till I'm flexing on all her friends. Said she wanna date a nigga with a nice whip. Now the nigga that a cop and she to pay less. When it come to broke niggas, she don't say shit. On a scale of most women, she's so basic. She's so basic. Last girl left me so low. Swear I've been here before. Cannot do this no more. That's my cue to get gone. Back and forth with all the cheese. Got me in and out my feelings. There's no point in even speaking. She been tweeting. Fast forward now, about a month. We had gone out a couple days. Facing shit that old couple's face. When it all feel the same, same time, me attracts your face. Still, I try to keep shit new, even though she figured me out in a week or so. Taking trips to wherever and shit. Have to admit it was hard to just quit when you feel the way that I did about this damn girl. Person say she ain't feel the same. When you done all you can, but you were never in the plans for the future, there's no point in staying. So I had to just do my thing, you know, fall back. She went and called it quits and never called back. I ain't keen in time, super felt all that. Last time this woman had me sidetracked, but yeah. She broke my heart again, got me going so hard again. Till I'm flexing on all her friends. Said she wanna date a nigga with a nice whip. Now the nigga that a cop and shit to pay less. When it come to broke niggas, she don't say shit. On a scale of most women, she's so basic, she's so basic. Last girl left me so low, swear I've been here before Cannot do this no more, that's my cue to get gone Back and forth with all the cheating, got me in and out my feelings There's no point in even speaking, that girl lately she been tweaking